I've been doing a lot of shows lately about autism, and I think it is so important that we understand, not just as parents of uh, children with autism or families that are working with autism, but as parents, teachers, and clinicians, the more I am learning about autism, the more that I'm becoming aware and understanding, I feel a sense of dread. I feel a real sadness, not because of that people have autism, but because we didn't know. And in all of these shows, I keep coming back to the idea that how many children have we set aside, put aside, put into treatment, put into homes, put in jail because we thought they were something other than autistic. And the more we understand autism, the more we accept that it is a part of our everyday life, that more and more people are, are saying, oh yeah, that's, that's actually not that, that's autism. That's not ADHD, that's not bipolar, that's not. I was talking to a man yesterday who is a entrepreneur, a business owner, is busting his butt for his financial, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual success. And he said yesterday, that he was finally, and he is 35 years old, he finally got the diagnosis of bipolar removed and was given the diagnosis of autism. 35 years old. My heart hurts for this. I have Emily and she is the, 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 the founder, the creator of Autism Parents. Autism Parenting Magazine uh, is with us today. So she has access to the autism experts and we're going to ask her all the questions we want to know. Thank you for joining, joining me on Beyond Risk and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey, and I want to say hello to Emily. Emily, I didn't say your last name because I was terrified of uh, butchering it, but I want to say Ilfa. Yeah, it's uh, Emily Ansel Alpha. And yeah, yeah thank, thank you so much for having me. I, I won't take the credit for being the founder or creator of Autism Parenting Magazine. That's um, my CEO, Mark Blakey. But I am the, the editor of the publication. Um, so I manage uh, the content and, and the day-to-day -day production of the magazine. So yeah, really excited to be here with you. Fantastic. And, and I at the moment I went to autismparentingmagazine.com I'm offered free uh, a free copy of the magazine. I can automatically get in there and start to look at it. Um, talk about Emily. Talk about how you ended up where you are. Why why Autism Parenting Magazine? What what brought you to this line of work? What's your experience exposure to uh, autism in general? Sure. Um, so I've been in journalism and editing um, for about 12 years now. I started off working in local newspapers, covering everything from local crimes to golden and diamond wedding anniversaries, all sorts of great fun stories. And then I moved into niche magazines. I was deputy editor of a toy industry magazine for a while. I was then editor of a food magazine. And I was looking for, for the next step in my career. And I really wanted to do something 
that that was still in publishing but was really making a difference and really helping people um, and I saw the opportunity come up at Autism Parenting Magazine and it sounded perfect for me. I have a cousin who is on the autism spectrum who I'm very close to and he's quite a bit younger than me. So I've, I've seen him grow up and the challenges that he faced, um, the challenges that my aunt faced raising him as a single parent um, and even things like just how long it took him to get a diagnosis. He, he was really struggling at school, struggling to fit in with his peers. And uh, it took a few years of assessment to actually realize, hey, he's autistic. So I wanted to do something that helped other families to get the support and information they needed because there really aren't many resources out there. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I ended up with Autism Parenting Magazine and I'm, I'm loving working with the company so far and, and producing all these great articles. There is a experience that many therapists and parents have talked about uh, here in the US. And so I'm assuming it's the same in other countries as well, but that once the resources are so tight and limited that as parents say, hey, we should get our kid uh, assessed for autism, that by the time they're actually able to take the test, the kid has aged out of the test itself or any support that could come from a diagnosis of autism. Are you finding that with parents, with the experts? Is that, is that something you can confirm? Yeah, I think that unfortunately is the case for so many families. Um, and as I say, that's what happened with my cousin. By the time he got his diagnosis, he was uh, about 11 years old, I think. So he didn't have the opportunity for the early intervention that some kids get. Uh, therapy for, from a young age, speech therapy, um, help with his social skills and communication. He missed out on that. And um, our, our readers are international. We 70% of our readers are in the United States, but we have readers all around the world. And often it it, it comes down to people's income because in, in some regions and countries you have to pay to be assessed. Um, it comes down to the knowledge that the family might have, the education that the family might have. There are so many factors that come into play and, and unfortunately can create a, a barrier or a delay to, to diagnosis. So part of what we're doing at Autism Parenting Magazine is trying to raise awareness of autism and provide people with some free resources via our blog and via our Facebook group so that they can start getting the information and help they need. As I have been looking through the website, uh, looking at the type of articles that not only that you've written, but that, that have been uh, contributed to the magazine itself, I f I'm finding once again, more and more what I don't, and I've been working with autistic kids uh, for 20 years. Uh, I, but but I find more and more, I I have more questions than answers when parents come to me and say, um, you know, my kid's on spectrum. I still don't know what that means. And because I've had such a, a prolonged exposure to having child in my residential pro children in my residential programs who are dealing with autism, living with autism. I look back and I'm like, man, there's still so much we don't know. A simple one that in one of the articles I see is a, a school recess. 
just the idea of recess for a kid on spectrum with spectrum behavior, one autistic kid needs it so badly. You should probably add an hour of recess to the other day. And for another autistic kid, it could shut them down. You know, where, where they just, they go outside and they would, they would begin, you know, stemming and, and, you know, flapping and, and things like that. And because th there's an overwhelm, but the other kids sitting on the swing and the, the school knows and is supportive that that's what that kid needs to do for the next 20 minutes so they can regulate nervous system and head back to class. Is there a common theme that parents can look at their own children, their own families in the mirror and say, that's spectrum behavior. Or are we still dealing with such a wide, ambiguous concept of autism that it's hard to diagnose? Yeah, it, it's tough. Um, and I think it's called a spectrum for a reason. Um, you, kids can present in so many different ways. And that there's a saying in the autism community, if, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Wow. Because everybody's so different just like all neurotypical people are different all people on the spectrum are different um so there are certain behaviors you can look out for things like stimming which is uh, sort of repetitive behavior such as hand flapping or rocking or uh, signs of just generally being overwhelmed and overstimulated um trouble reading social cues um trouble uh, with eye contact, difficulty in conversation, sort of knowing when to speak. Um, another common sign of autism is special interests. So being really, really passionate about one particular topic and then perhaps not having much interest in things outside that topic. Um, that there are these kind of, there is a sort of checklist of things you can look for, but not every person on the spectrum will present with all of those things. Um, so yeah, it is a challenge and more research, research is being conducted all the time. Um, the diagnostic criteria is constantly changing. Unfortunately, there are still more questions than answers at the moment. Let's talk about that, that hyper-focused behavior. I had an, I had a neighbor kid who was, who was a joy to be around. He was, we, we, we loved him. I, you know, I, I, I played with him constantly. Um, and one of the things that my parents still grin about, and my parents were very accepting and, and loving of him and, and good neighbors to that family was that when our sprinklers would come on, he would come over and he would obsess about the sprinklers because he wanted them all to time correctly. So he would spend hours on our sprinkler system, trying to get everything synced up. Now, what, what I'm trying to ask is what's the difference between being obsessed and being obsessive, being interested in wanting to master a concept or the spectrum version where is it, is it, is it compulsion? Is it, is it a, a drive that's beyond that looks like OCD behavior or is it different? Is it feeding something else or stimulating something else in the brain? And then I also want you to speak about video games because video games seem to fulfill an autistic child's obsessive thought patterning. So what is this and are video games good or bad? So we'll get to the video games one, but start with the sprinklers because I'm still so <laughs> fascinated about it. Wow, that, that's quite a question. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a fine line, isn't there, be, between a kind of heightened interest and and obsession or um, obsessive compulsive uh, behavior. And interestingly, a, a high number of children on the spectrum also have OCD. Um, but yeah, I think you know, it's fine for someone to have a special interest or passion, but I think it's when that perhaps starts to interfere with their everyday life that it might be a sign um, that this child might not be neurotypical. You know, it, it might be that something like the sprinkler situation they're finding very distressing or it's all they can think about and they keep wanting to go back and, and sort it out. Or it might be that they're only able to have conversation about something they're interested in. For example, trains, they can talk forever about trains, but if someone tries to engage them in something else, that's when it becomes a real challenge. But I will say as well, I think that this special interest sort of feature of autism can actually also be a real strength and a real skill. And this sort of level of attention to detail that, um, you you can really hone in on on a child's special interest to help them learn about other things and perhaps that special interest might be something that grows into a career later in life because they're so passionate about it um you know, for example my, my cousin is absolutely obsessed with football he's he's now getting a, a qualification in in sports management wow. um so you know i think there are some traits of autism that can be looked at as a skill and, and a strength rather than a challenge. And it's about developing your child in the right way and really harnessing that while also helping them not to let their stress levels rise and, and helping them to learn to engage in other activities and other conversations too. It's interesting because I, I just watched a movie and the movie was okay. Uh, um, the, the, the Tomorrow War. And there was a young boy in the, the lead character's classroom who um, the, the teacher asked a pretty benign question and one kid's hand went up and he tried to call on anyone else because he knew this kid was going to talk about volcanoes, right? But later on, of course, the foreshadowing is the kid has some pertinent information that ultimately helps the protagonist solve the movie. But his knowledge about volcanoes my neighbor's knowledge about sprinklers to the point where people in the neighborhood would give him for his birthday or for christmas sprinklers as gifts so that he could go out in the yard and when it was the right and he knew the right time to water he knew which part of the grass to water the obsession around a certain aspect volcanoes dinosaurs football puppets i have a business partner who's 18 year old son his and he's he's spectrum um he's on the spectrum and it's all about puppets and puppeteering and puppet mastering and he's been making videos and he has hundreds of thousands of followers and he's gonna start they really truly become specialists in the field because there's nothing they don't know about it and it speaks to their high level of intellect. Is there an aspect, I will still get back to the video game question because I know that's what parents want, but is there an aspect of autism or spectrum behavior that, and this is the guilt part I have to say, the, 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 the shame, the distress, the heartache that I feel, the assumption would be that these kids are not intelligent, but that's just absolutely not true because you ask them about what they're interested in. There's nothing they don't know. 
But is there an IQ variance for spectrum behavior? It really varies. Um, there's a term some people use, high-functioning autism or low-functioning autism. I'm not a massive fan of, of that term, and I know sure. many people in the autism community aren't. But, yeah, you, you do get sort of on, on one end of the spectrum uh, someone with autism who might be nonverbal um, might have um, learning difficulties, but then you also have people who are also diagnosed as autistic who have extremely high IQs, you know, average to unusually high IQs, much higher than some neurotypical people. So it it really really varies, um, and I, I think yeah. As I've said, this level of intellect, especially when it becomes to, when it comes to a specific focus area or special interest, can be a real, real strength for people on the spectrum, and it can offer them the opportunity to go into a field that they absolutely love. and And how many people love what they do as a job every right. day? Right. Um, you know, for someone on the spectrum who has that that high intellect or, or average IQ, that's a real opportunity for them if their special interest is really honed and, and developed by the people who care for them. Okay. So this brings us, whether, whether they're high functioning or, uh, you know, the, the, I guess all the way down to, to even nonverbal, uh, it's been rare that a, a child on the spectrum in my facility, in my treatment facility, um, hasn't been obsessed. I maybe not obsessed, but extremely powerfully attracted to video games. Now we have enough knowledge about video games and even in other countries that are starting to outlaw certain aspects of game development because we know it triggers addictive centers of the brain. What is it about the video games? Is this a common theme? And do parents let kids on spectrum actually play them? What should we do? Yeah, it is a real challenging one. I think video games are generally quite addictive yes. uh, for, for neurotypicals as yes. well as people on the spectrum. I know myself, I, I'm not a big video game player, but if there's been a game I really enjoy, you can lose track of time and you end up playing them for hours. Um, and I think as uh, neurodivergent brains that are more wired to develop those special interests and obsessions, it needs to be closely watched and monitored by parents and guardians. I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing an autistic child to play video games, but maybe have time limits, you know, maybe say, right, one hour a day of video game time, then we're going to do something else. Uh, it's a challenge, but I think it needs to be monitored. I will also say, I think there are probably some benefits to video game playing for kids on the spectrum because it helps them with developing motor skills. It, it's a sensory experience. You know, they're, they're seeing all the different visuals and graphics. They're getting involved in the action of the game. So some skills can be built through them, but it's when it becomes uh, 
too big a part of everyday life that, that it's a concern. And I know uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, who is uh, on the spectrum herself and is very well known in the autism community and beyond, she's not really an advocate for video games. She says, get kids outside, get them out in nature, experiencing things that way, get them out talking to people, doing activities, learning new skills. And I think there's a lot to be said for that as well. I have a I, I have a story about uh, uh, Doctor Temple and before I ever understood um, autism at all. Uh, I was at a conference and I had a booth advertising a child's camp that I was running that was gaining in popularity. It was called Warrior Camp and Warrior Goddess Camp, and it is a it, it's an extreme, out there, uh, edgy, fun, safe risk camp for children ages four to 14. I mean, we're doing sweat lodges, we're throwing axes, we're throwing spears. Um, it, it, and it, it was huge. And this woman came up to my table with a little retinue of followers. And she kind of glanced over my table and she looked at me deadpan in the eye and she goes, this looks violent and walked away. And here I was in the middle of talking to other parents who were very into, oh, my my child would love this. My daughter would love this. She would be so empowered. She totally wants to throw spears. She totally wants to. And this woman comes up and all of these women walk away with her except one. And I'm looking at this woman who walks away. And I'm like, who the hell does she think she is? And this woman goes, uh, that's that's Dr. Temple Grand and just, you know, uh, don't worry about it. And leaves. And I'm like, who the hell is that? Like, all I'm trying to do is make a living here, lady. And she, she's chasing my clients away. And she walks into this conference room. And as she's walking into the conference room, she's getting applauded. And by the people who are waiting in line to get into the conference room, I'm like, who is this? Did I just get totally? And it was, it was her. And I listened to her talk. I was floored by her brilliance. Um, but there was that experience of no editing, no diplomacy, <laughs> no, <laughs> it just, whatever she was thinking inside just went blah all over my business. Um, what is that? And it, this is a conversation we bring up when we talk about autism, because it, it obviously is one of the markers at the gate of someone having spectrum behavior is no filter. What is that? Yeah, I think if you ever really want to know the truth about something or you want someone to say it how it is, <laughs> ask someone on the spectrum because they will tell you every time. Uh, it's just this uh, level of uh, such honesty, I think, that is in a neurodivergent brain. I think because there isn't such an awareness of um, social etiquette and social skills, and perhaps there isn't such a fear of offending people um, or, or trying to, to, to fit in or blend in with the crowd, I, I don't exactly know the reasons behind it. Um, I work with many autism experts, but I myself, I wouldn't claim to be. Um, but it is, yeah, there, there's just this level of honesty that's wired into the brain, I think. And um, yeah, that, that sort of boundary um, isn't so much there. You know, that some, some neurotypical people, they're, they're, they're people pleasers. 
they, they don't want to say anything that might offend. And I actually think one of the great qualities of many people on the spectrum is they don't, they don't have that. <laughs> uh, I was, I was uh, interviewing the host of uh, autism rocks, um, uh, Mitchell. And I asked him about that question and his answer was, I'm just out of craps to give. And I was like, I just don't give a crap. I'm going to tell you what I think. And anything else that's in the way of what I think is unnecessary. And I don't give a crap. And how you take it is completely up to you. And that that's a powerful experience, but it's unnerving to be on the receiving end of it. You have an article um, that you've written about the LGBTQ uh, I plus community and A plus community about uh, people on spectrum and their tendency to be LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus. Talk about that, please. This is an interesting one. So it's something that it's fascinating. Yeah. So research is still very much in the the early stages, but there have been a few surveys done and a few scientific studies that suggest a, a slightly higher proportion of neurodi neurodivergent people than neurotypical people are likely to be LGBTQ. Um, the reasons behind it are, are fiercely debated. <laughs> uh, one, one theory is that uh, people on the spectrum are more comfortable being themselves and expressing who they are. That comes back to the filter conversation we were just having where they don't give a crap what other people think they're going to say and be and do and feel what they're experiencing. And it doesn't fulfill the community ego. I think that that is a very valid theory. Um, but then on the other hand, you have people who say, people on the spectrum have a desire to belong just like everyone else. And it, it really gets to a lot of autistic people that, that they don't fit in and that they are seen as different. And a community that really stands together is the LGBT community. So by identifying as LGBTQ, hey, there's a community of other people who are perhaps considered by some as different, who stand together, who, who are loud and proud, and, and they all belong together. So it, it gives them another community to be a part of. Um, other people say that the neurodiver neurodivergent mind is more naturally more nuanced and more um, creative and more open. And there was some research that suggested that um, neurodivergent, neurodivergent people are just more open to love with someone that they connect with, perhaps on an intellectual level or someone that they find similarities with. And it isn't so important to them what gender that person is. So it, it's so interesting. And as I say, research is still in its early stages, but I, I think there's definitely something to be said for it. And I know a lot of people on the spectrum who I've been getting to know and interviewing and writing about, a lot of them do identify as LGBTQ. As we learn more and more about autism from experts and people who spend their time working with the experts, 
the, the purpose of this podcast has always been to provide access to experts, to other hosts of shows, magazines, to just bring you the information. To that end, Beyond Risk and Back has expanded this podcast. I have expanded what I want parents to have. If you go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B for Beyond Risk and Back, obviously, brabapp.com, you're going to find a app. And in this app, it is everything I have ever taught to parents in the past 20 years of being a parent coach, a treatment center owner, a teen coach, a, a child camp founder, coach, supporter, Everything I have ever told a parent and supported a parent with, the experts that I've interviewed and worked alongside and have trained in my years of doing this work, I have pulled all that information into 56 teaching sessions for you. It's extremely affordable because I want every parent to have the support. Go to brabapp.com and download the classes. If your kid's really, really at risk, there's a segment of the course for you. One third of the course is for you. If your kid's just at risk and it could go either way, there's a segment of the course for you, one third of it. And if your kid's doing well, but you know they could do great and you don't know what to do to kick them into that world changer mode, that higher level of play, that real hustle, go get them. Well, that's what the other third. And when you download the app, you get all three. Cause I want you to have the entire course for this low price. So go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com and check it out. Let's get back to our guest. Emily, um, there is an article that you've also worked on that's on the website that I found fascinating about seizures and the, the seizures experience, um, that's worrisome. Parents who are uh, dealing with autism, um, boy, to, to layer epilepsy on top of that. How common is this? And are there signs prior to an actual epileptic seizure or a seizure in general um, that could serve as a warning sign for parents? Or should they just be on the lookout? Wow. Yeah. So that is a uh, uh fairly high proportion of people on the spectrum who also have epilepsy or suffer from seizures. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't recall the exact figure, but there is a correlation uh, between autism and seizures. And I see 20%. I've got your article up here right now. I'm looking ah, at 20%. You. <laughs> Yo, absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't left hook you without having some backup here. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't want to click away. And get <laughs> yeah. So 20%. So that is quite high. And uh, statistics show that it tends to be more uh, in, in the instances of people with severe autism, so uh, nonverbal people on the spectrum, people who might be considered low functioning um, or have learning disabilities in addition to their autism. Um, and there are lots of theories as to why, but definitely there is that connection there uh, for whatever reasons between autism and seizures. In terms of signs to look out for, 
it can be really difficult uh, when it's involving somebody on the spectrum because some of the, the symptoms of an oncoming seizure are similar to symptoms of autism. So, for example, stim stimming behavior, um, a child making repetitive movements, rocking, flapping their hands, shaking their head, banging their head. These are things that many autistic kids do anyway, but they can also be signs of a seizure. Uh, things like uh, losing their, their verbal skills, uh, language becoming slurred or not speaking properly, stuttering, again, possible sign of a seizure, but also the possible sign of autistic behavior. So I would really urge anyone concerned about seizures in their child just to speak to a medical professional and get really clear advice on what to look for there and, and how to, to help your child if they are experiencing these. As a journalist and all the experts that you've interviewed and all of the information that you've gathered uh, in your time uh, with the magazine and doing this work, let's let's talk to parents about their their do's and don'ts. And these are parents who think they might have a kid on spectrum or know they have a kid on spectrum. If there's a question or if there's confirmation, what are, what have you collected? What do you have for parents as the, the top three do's and the top three don'ts, anything like that? I think a key thing for those that might have recently received a diagnosis is don't catastrophize this don't panic and, and see this as the end of the world um, an autism diagnosis can actually be really good news because it tells you why your child is behaving in a certain way it tells them why they might be doing things that you think are a bit different and it also is the beginning of that journey to getting them the support that they need because if you don't know what it is that makes them different you're lost so uh, it, it is the spot, this is the start of what can be a really wonderful and progressive journey. Um, I would say another do is to celebrate the achievements of your child, however big or small, celebrate every milestone. Um, you know, for, for a neurotypical person, it could be getting into college, passing exams, passing a driving test, things you might see as pretty big but for a child with severe autism it could be uttering a fast word communicating with you in a different way you know, even pointing to something they want to do or enjoy celebrate every achievement and also be supportive of your child encourage them and and be proud of of who they are um don't i would say obviously don't be ashamed don't try and hide your child away and, and be worried about the fact they might be different from some of your friends' kids. Um, your child is special. Your child is unique, like every child is. So, you know, be proud of them. Um, and I would say, don't, this is more of a do than a don't, but don't forget to advocate, advocate for your child. You know, if they're being shunned by others, if people don't understand why they're stimming or acting in a certain way, you know, educate for your, for your child, advocate for them, because with a better understanding of autism, we're going to be a, a more accepting society. Talk about 
the magazine itself because now mm-hmm. I want now I want parents to uh, get this magazine if if they're if they're a family um, with, with with a with spectrum family members talk about the magazine how do people find you how do people get on your mailing list i mean you guys have like zoom events and live events for parents and stuff like that too we do we have so much going on so the best thing to do to start with is to head to our website which is autismparentingmagazine.com you can there find out how to subscribe to the magazine um, we do charge a small monthly fee for the magazine. It's about three dollars, um, just because we have a, a team of experts what's working on our content, um, and we need to do so in order to produce the magazine. But we also have a free blog offering loads of advice. And I don't think I mentioned earlier that all our writers are doctors therapists, psychologists, people on the spectrum, parents, so they're all autism experts with something to offer. So you can find a lot of free content on our blog. We also have a free Facebook support group called Autism Support Groups for Parents. So head to our website and find out how to get involved. And our new event is the Autism Parenting Summit, which takes place twice a year in April and September, where we have a lineup of more than 20 expert speakers talking about all different topics from behavior to social skills to communication to executive dysfunction, motor skills, um, giving free sessions, free presentations for parents on how to help their children in these areas. So head over to autismparentingsummit.com to sign up for our next summit, which is a free virtual event. So you don't want to miss out on that. My guest today was Emily Ansel Elfer. They... Uh, she's the editor of Autism Parenting Magazine, and just going through the website and and seeing the pictures and looking at the articles, not just the articles that she's written, but the, the just the covers of the back episode, uh, uh, the the back episodes, the back issues. You you start to go, holy crap! There's a home for families like mine. So. Parents, if you're here because of autism, if you're listening to the show, if you're hanging on the guests that I've brought in about autism, um, you need to get with Autism Parenting Magazine right away. I want to thank Deepin Productions for the music, the editing, the production of this podcast. And I want to thank Your Cause Consulting for making sure that this show is getting in front of the right people all over the world. Please go to brabapp.com and check out the parenting sessions, the classes, the workshop, the masterclass for parents that I've got for you there. If you want free support, please, please, please go to Parenting Teens That Struggle. That is a free group on Facebook. That is a group that I moderate and I have handpicked a couple experts to be on there to answer any questions. And there's like 1300 parents there that are just there to support each other, uh, give each other advice and love each other up because you are not the only parent going through this. There are lots of parents going through all kinds of struggles, mental health, behavioral, drugs, alcohol, self-harm, suicidality, depression, anxiety in your teenagers. There is a Facebook page designed just for you. You can always go to firemountainprograms.com to see the next events that I'm doing and offering for you. But 
no matter what you do. Parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because that's how you're gonna do your best work with your children. I'll see you next week on another episode of Beyond Risk and Back.